0: Signs and Wonders, you sing. um, We will remember and you can see about what God's doing. Uh, I had the privilege uh, this week to be uh, at the prison on Thursday mornings. The Lord has kind of given us an opportunity to be there. And so there's two inmates that are uh, in the middle of seminary um, or finishing up their seminary. uh, That's a better way to put it. They both have life in prison. um, And so they did not tell us what that is we didn't ask the question because that really doesn't matter to us but they have a passion for discipleship and so uh they sat with us uh there's a couple of us pastors went on thursday morning just sat and talked and i was just thinking you know lord what's neat is is they they've come to know christ in the prison they got involved in a seminary while they're in prison and now what they were doing what was comfortable was they were at a prison they liked that prison but they felt like God was calling them to be missionaries within the prison system because they know they're never going to get out. And so they want to take as many men with them to spend eternity with Jesus that are, that are locked behind bars, that you and I just don't get a chance to go say, hey, let's go to lunch or meet with. And so we were talking to these guys, and, and so the, the guy that's kind of the, the leader or kind of helps us out on Thursday nights and really wants to plant a church inside the prison, that's his passion there is not a church inside the prison. There are 41 different programs <clears throat> that come to the prison. And I went through the list, and so we were talking about it. He said, well, we, what, what we need is people to come in and help us help do discipleship or people to come in on a Saturday night and lead a church service where you actually open your Bible. He, he said, basically, I can, go to, I can go to the chapel and never open my Bible. I really don't even take it because it's really not worth taking it, because nobody wants to open the Scriptures and talk to us. And so um, they, the one inmate has made a decision to leave Hardy Correctional Institution, where he was finishing up his seminary, and be transferred. But he didn't know where he was going to go. In order for him to be transferred, they normally transfer them in twos. So the seminary's training, they're training like 54 guys at Hardy Correctional Institution uh, in seminary, in biblical studies, and they send them out by twos, but they don't know where they're going to go. Now, if you're not in prison, you don't know that there's some good prisons and there's some bad prisons. Uh, In Avon Park, the only rooms that are air-conditioned that they have access to is lunch, chapel, and the room that we use on Thursday nights. That's the only rooms that have air-conditioning. So that means you've got... I think there's 1,200 men living in dormitory spaces with, with end of the hallway big fans that are trying to suck air out. Um, so the guy said, so finally Dennis said he would go. He's interested in going. He was involved in a discipleship ministry where he was discipling 70 other inmates with the truth of Scripture. And so he said, you know what? I need to move on. And so another guy said, well, I don't really want to go because this is comfortable and we don't know where we're going to end up. But I will go with Dennis and we will be involved in ministry from whatever prison. So God has sent them to Avon Park uh, Correctional Institution. They love Avon Park because there are trees there. Um, where they were before, whatever, it's typically you don't see trees. Uh, and, so I act, and so there's birds around. Like I was watching guys on Thursday night. We're, we're walking through the compound, and guys are bringing out leftover pieces of bread and just throwing it over by the the barbed wire fence because they want to watch the birds. And so, you know, I'm sure they could have ate it, but it probably wasn't great food, so maybe the bird will eat it. But it was just interesting, the things that they love. So pray with us. Um, who would have ever thought that a year ago we would be, have opportunities to be involved in Avon Park Correctional Institution? It was always being closed. Um, their prayer request is that the abide pastors would come every Saturday night to preach the Word of God. Um, that's their prayer request. Right now, we're just going the first Saturday night of the month. So the June 1st, there's actually going to be a baptism uh, in the prison. And uh, so I don't know what God is doing. Uh, basically, they've opened the doors for us to be involved in discipleship long term. Uh, and so work with these guys. These guys actually, so Steve said to them, at, so Steve Trinkle was with us, he said to them, maybe we just need to have staff meeting up here. Two two days a month. And I was sitting there thinking, wait, Steve, what are you talking about? Steve said, I think us pastors need to come up here and sit with you guys two days a month just to encourage you, spend time with you as you develop a church and discipleship inside the prison walls. So that might happen. That might be two Wednesday mornings a month that a couple guys go up there and just sit with these guys, pray with these guys, ask them how we can help, how can we support you, uh, just kind of have a little staff meeting uh, to actually staff and strategize and pray that God would take the gospel and spread it through the prison in, in Avon Park. Right now, God is doing something really cool inside cell block C. The guys that are part of the discipleship program that we go up on Thursday nights are now gathering before they go to bed around the Word of God, praying together as inmates inside of cell block C. There's like five or six other cell blocks. Uh, everybody wants to get into cell block C. That's the place to go. Um, another signs and wonders, there's a guy named Sticks. Uh, no, I call him Sticks. His, actually, his name is Six because he's six foot six. He works in the chapel. He also has life in prison, but he chooses not to go to cell block C. He says, I don't want to go there. These guys over here need the gospel. And so I want to I wanna spend time with them. I want to share the gospel. I have a good roommate. And uh, I like him. And uh, he said the other day, a Muslim walked up to him and said, "Would you would you mind praying for my family?" And he said, "I would absolutely love to pray for your family." And uh, so, just you know, neat things that are happening. Uh, one other one, um, and then we'll go to the scriptures. Uh, is George and Carol Cooper? Uh, Carol comes often uh, here, but George is, has a lot of medical uh, issues. I mean, you, you you know George, and so he had a heart cath on Wednesday, and typically. They don't give you a whole lot of information before a heart cath. But the, the guy that did the stress test says, you got issues. And so they took him to the hospital. And so far, if I understand right, which I've never heard this before, but if I understand right, they actually removed two of George's stints and put two new stints in, and there was no other issues. And so George spent the night there now it's going to be a huge recovery process because George is on like 25 different medications, so to try to balance all of that uh, after coming out of surgery. But basically, we, you know, Carol and I were talking, basically they thought was going to be he was going to be sent off to open-heart surgery. Uh, that's really what was going to take place. Uh, that didn't. The Lord put two stints in, and away he goes, so keep praying for George and Carol Cooper. Uh, we're just excited about what God's doing in their lives. So if you have your Bible... Um, that's not part of my sermon, That's just, but I'll make sure we get out on time, so don't worry. Uh, we, won't, we won't mess up your lunch you know, your reservations or anything. Um, Matthew chapter 22. And what I want to encourage you is, I don't know if you do this, but just as a, as a, a brother to brothers and sisters, uh, I want to encourage you to spend time with a chunk of Scripture. Not just, okay, I like you know, Psalm 23 verse 1. Uh, I'm pretty sure when you turn to your Bible in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 22 and you're going to start looking at verse 15, most of your Bibles have a title over the top of it. Uh, paying Caesar what is to Caesars or whatever your Bible has to say. Which is important and good and it will give you a concept. Okay, we're going to talk about this concept on this these chunk of Scripture. My prayer for you is, is that you would have a Bible, have subtitles, but on the other side of the subtitles and in the, in the columns on the side you would write some notes there, that you would have next to Matthew chapter 22, maybe after you listen this morning, or maybe when you go home, um, because really we, we don't want church to be a spectator sport, we want church to be a participation area, so you bring your Bible, you bring what God's doing in signs and wonders in your life, you bring the things that you're excited about, oh, we can spend time talking about stuff that goes on, and issues and burdens, and we can do that, and we're praying for that. But God, what are you doing in my life through the scriptures? And so in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 15, you're going to see um, the group of Pharisees are going to plot uh, to entangle him with his word. So there's a group of individuals that don't like Jesus, that's the Pharisees, and so they've thought up a way, you know what, if we if we talk about taxes, then we're going to really mess Jesus up. And I think it's kind of funny that every time I talk about taxes, Eric is not here, so um, but he does give me a hard time that I call tax collector sinners. So anyway, so I he won't give me too hard of a time today um, unless you all tell on me. Resurrection is the next chunk of Scripture that we're going to talk about starting in verse 23. But I want, to just, I want to talk to you about taxes first. I want you to see how Jesus is going to enter to work with these Pharisees. So the Pharisees, their plot is to entangle him. They want to make sure that they, they can come up with a plan to say, you know what, he's not all that he says he is. The Pharisees did not like Jesus. You know why they didn't like Jesus? Because when he spoke the truth, it was opposite to their lifestyle. They preferred their lifestyle. They preferred all of who they were, all focusing on the external. When they prayed, they would gather and pray big, long prayers. They would probably write it out and say, oh, look at us. They're using all these huge words, which they would never use at the coffee shop. But boy, when they got out in front of people, oh, look at us. Everything was directed toward them. When Christ stepped onto the scene and his ministry took place, Christ never took the glory. Christ never said, hey, turn and look at me. I'm I'm really talented. Look, I can raise people from the dead. Pharisees, have you ever done that before? I can heal leprosy. Have you ever done that before? That's not the way Christ lived. So they wanted Christ gone. They wanted to crucify him. But it's interesting, they're going to partner up with a group called the Herodians. This group, they did not like each other, but this group loved uh, the law, and they loved the Roman Empire, and so they're going to try to put these two groups together. So what I want you to see is in verse 16, the Pharisees in verse 15 went to plot, but look what happens in 16. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, like Jesus would recognize somebody that was a Pharisee because of all the external. You know, we live in a society where you, you might like the Chicago Cubs or you might like uh, the Boston Red Sox. So you're going to wear, you know, a shirt. Sometimes I'll strike up a conversation because somebody's got a hat on and they, they bought it at the thrift store, but I don't know that. So I walk up to him and say, hey, so you like the Dodgers? Well, no, not really. I just bought it at the thrift store. Well, you're identifying with them. You're saying, hey, look. So you, like, we identify people. So we, we know certain people like, you know, Dean and Kathleen Vogel. They love the Green Bay Packers. Not sure why, but they do. Because they're from Wisconsin, they love the Packers. Um, And so they identify with them. So here's a group that externally they identified. Jesus would have known that. The Pharisees knew that. So let's just send the disciples along with this other group. Now look how they're going to approach Jesus, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true. Isn't that interesting? We know that you are true, but we really have a question that we need to ask you. We're really trying to trip you up, but we know that you're true and that you teach the way of God truthfully and you do not care about anyone's opinions. Wow, it's pretty interesting. You are not swayed by appearances. So there's a whole lot of flattery going on. There's a whole lot of words that really if they believe that Jesus taught truthfully, they would humble themselves before him and say, okay, Jesus, we want to learn from you but that's not who they are. So look down at verse 17. Tell us then what you think. So Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So here's the question. They're coming to Jesus with a question. Jesus, what do you think? Sometime I think you really should use this, and I don't know how you're going to explain all this with evangelism, but if you ask people a question, they have an opinion. They love to hear their voice go on and on and on and on. Now, there's certain people don't ask them a question because you're never going to leave there. But there's other times you can say, well, what do you think? How, how would you address that issue? What's your opinion? So Jesus goes, they're asking Jesus, what is your opinion? Look at, And Jesus, of all people, should have stepped in and said, hey, I got the answer for you. Here it is. I want you to see how Jesus answers them. But Jesus is aware of their malice, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarii. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness or inscription is this? And they said, "Caesar's." And he said to them, Therefore rent to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. I want to talk to you something here a little bit. He's saying to this individuals, "Render to Caesar what is Caesar's." Anybody in here like to pay taxes? Anybody in here always agree with the amount that you have to pay for your taxes? I don't. Like I, I go to Mark Cox and say, "Okay, look, what do we need to do this year?" He says, "You need to do this month." I was like, "Mark, I mean, that's just a lot of money." And so I said, I've never said this. I'm going to try this next year. Mark, I think you should go back and, and negotiate with the IRS and tell them there's a preacher in Florida that doesn't prefer that amount. So would you mind adjusting it for him? I, I know that's going to, I know that will never happen, but that's kind of what I would like to do. Lord, I don't mind submitting to this authority, but I don't like it. They want too much from me. And so what I want you to do is, I want you to see how Jesus unpacks this. He says to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Hey, you Pharisees, you Herodians, you humble yourself under their authority. And I'm pretty sure that every single one of you have humbled yourself underneath the authority of the IRS. You say, here it is. You don't send them a letter of complaint. You don't send them a letter of preference. You don't try to shortcut them. And I think that's important. I think that's who we are as Christians should should be. So I want you to take your Bible and go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. <coughs> 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's words to this young man Timothy to say Timothy, this is my expectations for you when it comes to authority. When it comes to people that are placed over you. So take your Bible go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplication. So you got the little word urge there. That's kind of like I want to strongly encourage. I want to say to you that I think this is something I would like to recommend for your life, Timothy. I want to urge you to do this. That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in positions that we, that are in high positions, that we may lead quiet or lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. You know why that's important, Timothy? Because of verse 3. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of who? God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God. There's one mediator between God and man. That man is Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given of proper time. Pharisees, Rodians, I know you're trying to trick me. I know what your thought is. I know if I answer one way or the other, but I just want to say to you give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I want to encourage us today, in the same way that, that Christ is saying to, to those Pharisees and Herodians and the disciples, humble yourself. Can I just ask you a question? Is that relationship the same with you and Jesus? You never wrote a letter to the IRS and complained. You never went to your account and said, you know what? I just don't think this is worth it. But how often do we come to Christ and say, you know what? (laughs) I don't really want to do that this week. That doesn't fit my lifestyle. And so what I want to share with you, just quick, I'm not going to go through all these verses because we'll be here way too long. 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scriptures God-breathed and useful. Will you submit to it? It's something there that's supposed to reprove you, correct you, encourage you. To say, hey, what? I want you to go in a different direction. Why? Because Jesus wants that from you. Not only does Jesus want us to live our lives a quiet life, that's pleasing to him. He also wants us to say, you know what? The word of God is authoritative in my life. Colossians chapter 2, verse you know, 12. I mean, so, so, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. No, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. These are things that Paul's telling the church at Colossae to put on. And I had the privilege of last week on Thursday night, sit down with inmates and said, okay, look guys, I'm going to challenge you to put these things on. And I said to him, any of you like authority in this room? Not one of them likes authority. I said, okay, but this book needs to be authoritative in your life. So this is what God is going to ask you to put on. And so he we sat and we talked and, and we prayed together at the end and knowing, knowing that this is a struggle for, for all of us, but challenging us to say, you know what, Lord, if this is what you want from my life, Lord, I'm going to put on humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another in love. Hebrews chapter 11, going back and reminding yourself that there is a, the writer of Hebrews gathered some people's names together and said, you know what, they had faith, they lived and they were all a mess. There's not one in Hebrews chapter 11 that was perfect. They were all failed. You know what's interesting? In their failure, they still live by faith. John chapter 2, starting with verse uh, 15 through 17, tells us what the world is. It's all passing away, but so many people are living for the things of this world. first, John, John chapter 5 encourages us and reminds us that his, his ways and His commandments are not burdensome. Yes, we need to love Christ, but we need to walk in obedience as well. And Matthew chapter 5 reminds us that we are the light of the world. So, can I just ask you something? Just the same way you pay your taxes, you submit to authority. Will you submit to the authority of God's word? This is what he wants from us. These are passages of scripture that should mold and shape who we are. The other question, another thing that's been brought to these to Jesus are these Sadducees? So take your Bible and go over to Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-three. And in, in the same day, so you got these Pharisees asking the question. and the same day, the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. These individuals' lives are messed up because they believe that there is no resurrection, and they ask him a question, saying, "Teacher, Moses said if man if man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother." Now then, there's seven brothers among us. The first married and died, having no offspring left, his wife to his brother. So then the second, and the third, and down to the seventh, and after the seventh uh, married her, the woman died. In the resurrection, which they do not believe in anyway, because one of the things I learned at Word of Life, I'm sure Mr. Wicks probably still says it, or Tom Davis still says it, or whoever, Mark, uh, still says it. These people are sad, you see, because they do not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. You might get it at lunch, but anyway. I'll never be a comedian, so. All right. So, whose wife shall she be? Jesus answered them. Listen to his answer to the Sadducees. Listen how he phrases this. You are wrong. Whoa. Why are you wrong? You know why these guys are wrong? You know why these Sadducees are wrong? Here's the answer. Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. That's why you're wrong. You don't understand the scriptures. You're asking me a question about marriage. Thinking, you know what, we're going to figure this out. And God had ordained marriage for this time. God has given us a spouse and a helpmate for this time. What does it look like in the resurrection? I don't know. So Jesus answers their question. Look at verse 30. For in the resurrection, there is neither Mary, nor given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So you, we're not. I'm not saying to you this morning that you will be an angel in heaven. You're going to be like the angels. So I was asking myself just some practical questions. So I think about marriage. If there's no marriage in heaven or given in marriage, what what is that? What? It, well, I realized that the day that I said I do to Susan, which will be in that fellowship hall over there. In August, it'll be a little bit longer down the road than it was last August. And so I, I made a commitment to her to be which I love being married. I'm, we've been married we'll be married 25 years in August. That's, you know, so anyway, we're just scratching the surface. There was a couple married this morning, babe, 65 years. Jim and D. Miltenberger. So any of y'all have marriage issues, go talk to the Miltonbergers. All right, they've been doing it for 65 years, and then if that doesn't work out, you can go talk to Terry and Joanne, who've been married for 64 years. Um, so that's a long time. Um, and so, knowing that I, day that I said I do, God gave me a helpmate. But when I take my last breath in the resurrection, I will be complete. There's a difference, isn't there? I will no longer have this broken earthly body. My sufficiency will be totally wrapped up in Christ in the resurrection because I will be like Christ because I've placed my faith in Christ. Susan will be completely like Christ. It will be done and finished. Now, this this isn't going to give you a total explanation of the future and end times and all that stuff, okay? But I want you just to be aware of it. I want you to think about, okay, when I see Jesus, I will be complete then. In the meantime, I get an opportunity to encourage Susan. She gets an opportunity to encourage me on in our relationship with Christ, continue following Christ, not finding my completeness in in Christ through Susan. I find my completeness in Christ and I get the gift of being married to Susan. And that is a big difference. There are so many people living in the United States of America that are trying to find their completeness in their spouse, and your spouse will never be Christ. Christ will be the only one. That's free marriage advice. I'm moving on. Here we go. And as for you, the resurrection from the dead—have you not read? Don't you know about this, guys? You should have read the Old Testament. You should have been made aware of it. Look in verse 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God. He is not. I'm sorry. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. But when the, and when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. I don't know if you find this interesting, but I find verse 32 very interesting. I am, not I was. See that? Jesus is saying to those Sadducees, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And I think this is really, really, really important for you right now. Because we are living in a generation that people want advice from somebody who's going to pass away. And they believe that that advice is more important than coming to the living Jesus Christ and saying, I need a question answered. I am for doctors. I'm for lawyers. I'm for psychologists. I'm for counselors. I think those people are extremely, extremely important. But you know what I'm finding? People place those people over what the living Jesus says. Well, that person said this, yeah, but oh, wait a second, what did Jesus say? What did God say through the word of God? What does he tell you? Not what is this, and I'm for these people. There are times that I went and sat with a counselor and said, Jeff, what do you think? And so then he said, you may be to think about this verse, in this verse, in this verse. Okay, Jeff, thanks, and I'm moving on. And there's probably going to be another time I'm going to go back to Jeff and say, Jeff, what do you think? hey, you probably need to think about this verse and this verse and this verse and move it on. That's what I want from my life. I want the living Jesus to have authority over my life. So why do we gather this morning as we end our time together? I'm leaving out some stuff, but I want you to see two things. Taxes. I'm going to challenge you to pay your taxes. But the same way you pay your taxes to the IRS, I'm going to challenge you to humble yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ. Stop asking why. Stop saying, well, this isn't fair. Well, this doesn't suit my lifestyle. Well, this doesn't make me happy. That's not what the plan was. The plan was to do exactly what his father asked him to do. Humble himself, say, you know what? I'll become obedient, even death on a cross. If that's what you want from me, Father, that's my plan. And then the other thing is the resurrection. It's to know this morning that the power of the living Christ is inside of you. So ask him for advice. Ask him for strength. And my prayer is that one day as we, we end our time, as we celebrate Memorial, Week, Memorial Day weekend, individuals have said, you know what? To their commanding officer, they said, You want me to go do that task? I'll do that. And they lost their lives. Have you reported to your commanding officer, Jesus Christ, this morning? Say, What do you want me to do today? Well, you know what? I, I just need to go to lunch and get my afternoon nap and, and go here and do this. One day there's going to be individuals that gave their life so that you could have safety, that if they knew Christ personally, that we're going to get a chance to look them in the eye one day. And the resurrection power of them will come alive and we'll all be together as a family in eternity in a place called heaven where there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow. So, Father, I thank you for allowing us to be here together as a family. And now may we do some participation work. May we do some weightlifting. May we do some exercise May we sit down with the Scriptures for ourselves and say, you know what? What's, what Scripture do I need to submit myself to the authority of today? The same way you pay your taxes. Humble yourself before your God. The Same way these Sadducees who came to Jesus with a ridiculous question walked away in astonishment because they met with the resurrected who Jesus was going to be they met with a man with power. Oh, he hadn't died yet, but a couple of days he's going to lay his life down on the cross. And they're going to get a chance to watch this guy die, celebrate his death, and then they're going to get a chance to hear this guy by the name of Peter stand up and profess the name of Christ. Oh, yeah, they put, him, put Jesus in the grave, but they could not keep Jesus in the grave. So thank you, Jesus, that you're alive today. May we live through the resurrection power of who you are. May we seek your face for advice. May we humble ourselves before you and say, hey, you changed Peter, you changed Paul, you changed David, I know you can change me. Allow the resurrection power of Christ to live through you today. We love you, Jesus, in your name I pray, amen. God bless you, have a great day.